This is uh, Patient Care Theory 2, Unit 14, Part 6. Um, let's go over some basic rhythms. So we'll talk about sinus <coughs> rhythm to sinus tack. All right. So when you're analyzing any rhythm uh, or any diagnostic tool for that part, for that part, it's important to use a step-by-step -step approach um, in order to get the interpretation right. When you're looking at pulse oximetry, there are two things you're looking at. Do you know what two things you're looking at to, to verify that it's a, an accurate pulse oximetry reading? What's that? Good plath, yeah. So the number and a good plath, right? Is the plath the same shape all the way along? or is it altered because of artifact? If it's altered because of artifact, then the, the number is probably not accurate. You know, if you're seeing, uh, you know, 84% in a patient who's in no respiratory distress and has a good rate and volume and clear chest, um, then you have to wonder if there's artifact going on that's interfering with uh, the plaque. Same applies to ECG. Um, you'll tend to get a lot more artifact with the ECG because in addition to picking up uh, the cardiac signal, it also senses skeletal muscle activity. So if you have uh, someone who's moving around restless in the back of the ambulance, you're not going to get a good tracing. If you've got a patient who's got Parkinson's and they're constantly shaking tremors, you're probably not going to get tra good tracing. Um, but you'll need to learn really on your own how to troubleshoot when you're getting a poor tracing. So um, if you're... Um, uh, if you've got a really bad tracing, lots of muscle artifact in uh, lead two and lead three, then the culprit lead is probably the left lateral chest, right? Because it's the one uh, electrode that those two leads share in common, right? So there may be, maybe it's uh, the wire is a little too taut on that side, or maybe, you know, the patient's breathing in such a way that that electrode is moving a lot. So what do you do? Peel it off, move it somewhere else. Or, uh, you know, if I have someone with Parkinson's, sometimes I'll have them roll to one side and put a hand underneath their buttocks just so I can get a decent tracing and then I'll get their hand out again. I don't want to, you know, restrain them, uh, but um, uh, I might need to get a good tracing. So uh, there's a step-by-step -step approach and it doesn't matter what sequence you follow, but this is a standard sequence. Standard sequence is look at the rate first. And the rate's important because um, it gives you immediate insight into whether this patient is sick because of the rate or sick because of some other reason. So if you had a patient who, um, you know, a patient who's got a blood pressure of 84 on 60 and is pale, cool, diaphoretic, um, um, you want to know, is this because they've got uh, a heart rate that's a problem or is it something else? So if they had a heart rate of 110, they were pale, cool, diaphoretic and hypotensive, I wouldn't worry too much about the heart rate. That heart rate is probably compensatory. So there's some other thing going on that's causing a hypotension. Maybe it's heart failure. Maybe it's anaphylaxis. Maybe it's sepsis. Uh, maybe it's hypovolemia. Uh, but it's not the heart rate. On the other hand, if I have a pressure, uh, a patient with, who's pale diaphoretic with a pressure of 80 on 64, and they've got a heart rate of 210, then that heart rate of 210 is probably calling, probably causing rather the pallor, the diaphoresis, the hypotension. Because right? a heart that's beating at 210 times per minute does not have adequate ventricular filling time. So it's beating so fast that the ventricles <coughs> are not getting 
the stroke volume they need. So cardiac output is decreased. The heart's probably getting tired because at 210 it starts to fatigue. So cardiac output would be diminished because of that over time. So, um, uh, you know, on the flip side, if I've got a patient with a pressure of 80 on 64, pale, cool, diaphoretic, and the heart rate is 22, there's a good chance they're hypotensive and they've got, uh, you know, the pale, cool, diaphoretic because their heart rate is 22, not some other cause. So um, heart rate usually comes first. So a normal heart rate would be between 60 and 99. Anything below 60 is a bradycardia. Anything above 99 is a tachycardia. Um, next thing we typically look at is P waves. Are they present and are they all the same shape? Are they all upright? Because we expect upright P waves in one, two, and three. And are they all the same morphology or same shape? Um, if they're all the same shape, it tells you they're probably all coming from the same place, which is likely the sinoatrial node. Uh, then we'll look at the PR interval, and that's the, the, from the very onset of the P wave to the onset of the QRS, and it should be less than 0 0.0 second. Um, 0 0.0 second would be borderline, prolonged, and uh, um, but greater than 0 0.20 would be prolonged. Right, so if it was, um, how many small squares is uh, 0 0.20 second? If each small square is 0 0.04 second, how many small squares is 0.2? Five, yeah, five. Four times five is five. Right, so hang on. <laughs> Um, so sometimes uh, what's helpful, just a little cheat here, is if I want to see, you know, without trying to find out exactly where the onset of the P wave is and where the very onset of the QRS is, sometimes what I'll try to do is find a P wave that starts on a dark line. Uh, it's not this one, not that one. That one's really close. That might be our closest one. This one, not quite close enough. Nope. Nope. Yeah, yeah, pretty close. Um, and when I look at this one, we'll say the onset falls on the dark line. The QRS starts uh, before five small squares, so it's about four small squares. So just looking at that one, I know the PR interval is normal. Right? What does it mean if the PR is prolonged, if it's greater than 0.20 second? Yeah, Liam? Sorry? Yeah. There's some for, form of heart block. <coughs> yeah, might be, we haven't talked about heart blocks yet, but yeah, some sort of heart block. So there's some, um, for whatever reason, there's some sort of delay at the AV node or the surrounding tissue, the perinodal tissue. Okay. Yeah. I really like the Google Docs because I have so many questions, but I feel like I would slow you down. So maybe we shouldn't use it, but this question. Uh, PR <laughs> interval. Okay. How come it's the PR when it starts at the Q? At the beginning of the QRS? How come we don't call it the P Q interval? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think because uh, there isn't always there isn't always a Q, but there's almost always an R. I think that's why. That's but that's a good that's a good question. I don't have a good answer for you. Okay. But um, yeah, it's, it really is PQ, or if there's no Q, it's PR. And if there's no Q and there's no R, there's only an S, then it's PS. 
and that gets too confusing. So someone settled on PR, and <laughs> so that's what it is. <coughs> You're going to find a lot of terminology in cardiology is a little confusing, and a lot of it is, uh, I'll get to this later, but it's non-committal. It's fairly broad, and for a good reason, I'll explain why later. So the QRS is usually narrow um, in a sinus rhythm. You could have a sinus rhythm with a YQRS, but it's typically narrow. So typically less than 0.12 second. Remember, QRS is wide if it's 0.12 second or greater. So if you want to know what a narrow QRS is, it's less than 0.12 second. You could say 0 0.08 to 0 0.10, that's typical, uh, or just say less than 0.12. Now, on a test question, if you've got a short answer to write as opposed to a multiple choice, and you're not sure which symbol means less than or greater than, just write it out in words, because uh, I've had people come to do test review and uh, they knew the answer, they just used the wrong symbol, which is a real tragedy <coughs> to lose a point that way. Um, then we want to know the ratio, um, the ratio of P waves to QRSs. You okay, Kyle, you've got that look of impending doom on your face. You have an alarmed look. Okay, you're good? Okay. No, you just, your eyes are kind of bugging out a little bit. Oh, okay. So ratio, there should be one P wave for every QRS consistently. So we look across the strip, we look P wave QRS, P wave QRS, P wave QRS. I mean, at a glance, you'll get good at it at a glance, but. Um, and then uh, is, the rhythm, is the rhythm regular, irregular, or irregularly regular? Um, this, is, um, this is an interesting category of uh, description because uh, you may wonder um, what's the value of saying whether a rhythm is regular or irregular. So first of all, know that whenever a single focus, either a cell or a group of cells, is firing in sequence, it has a tendency to fire rhythmically. So if there's a focus in the ventricle that's firing repeatedly, it'll fire rhythmically. So the QRSs should have the same morphology. The rhythm should be regular. Um, in contrast with, say, uh, a twitch in a skeletal muscle, like your arm or your leg, uh, twitches in your skeletal muscles tend to fire irregularly. Like, you're not going to get a twitch in your thigh going, you know, this. It's going to twitch irregularly and periodically. <coughs> but heart, uh, whenever uh, a cell or a group of cells starts to fire with automaticity, it tends to fire rhythmically. So that'll become helpful when you're looking at ventricular rhythms versus sinus rhythms uh, later on. And then at the end of this, um, we interpret what we see. And if everything is gets a check mark, I'm sorry these are yellow check marks, but if everything gets a check mark, you've, you've got a sinus rhythm. If something gets an X, then there may be um, a deviation, may not exactly be a sinus rhythm. Um, when you're interpreting rhythms, there are two things you must include in your interpretation, the rate and the rhythm, the heart rate and the rhythm. So you, when we interpret an ECG rhythm, we always include the rate and the rhythm, the rate and the rhythm. It's funny, there's a guy there's a guy going by the door and I was looking at him because I thought he was a security guard for a second and when he saw me staring at him, he slowed right down like, why is this guy, why is this guy looking at me? I thought he was gonna come in the room for a second there. 
That's right, buddy, I'm looking at you. I think I saw your wanted poster. Grab that man. Okay, so that's normal sinus rhythm or NSR. Um, this is, forgive the, the tracing, you can't really see the lines very well, but this is called the sinus arrhythmia. And um, it's not an abnormal rhythm, it's a common finding. And um, uh, let me talk a little bit about the, the, the um, sort of description step by step first, and then we'll talk about why this happens. So um, the heart rate uh, may vary. Uh, typically, you know, 60, but maybe a little bit below 60, a little bit above 60. And, um, uh, but the rate increases slightly with inspiration and slows with expiration. Um, so typically when we see someone with a sinus arrhythmia, you see it more prominently in kids. And um, almost every adult will have sinus arrhythmia when they're sleeping at night uh, because your uh, parasympathetic nervous system dominates when you sleep and you get fluctuations in vagal tone. When you uh, take a breath in, you get a slight inhibition of vagal tone. When you exhale, you get a restoration of vagal tone. Okay. So you get vagal tone when you exhale. Not unlike when you have a big bowel movement and you're trying to force out a poop. If you take a deep breath <laughs> and you hold it and you bear down to have a poop, what you're going to find is once you start to breathe again, you may find your heart is pounding in your ears and it slows down. That's what it's because you've caused vagal stimulation. You've done a, a Valsalva maneuver on yourself. So holding your breath in and bearing down when you're having a big poop, not recommended. Also not recommended when you're lifting heavy weights, right? Same, same rationale. We've had uh, people in the gym who've had syncopal episodes. They vasovagal, you know, when they're bench pressing and they're not breathing. They, uh, they lose consciousness. And we had one guy who lost his baby finger, tore it right off on the, you know, the hook that you know, whatever you weight wa weightlifter people do, you know, got the hook that it goes on. Squat rack? Yeah, yeah. Is that what it is? Is that what it's called, a squat rack? I don't know. Don't look at me like I'm an idiot. Yeah. Just a rack. My gym's at Royal Victoria Hospital. I have no idea what these things are, and there are no squat racks there. <laughs> squat racks. I'm going to ask, when I go to rehab tomorrow, I'm going to ask where the squat racks are. Where are the squat racks around here? I'm tired of this bicycle, this treadmill crap. I, I want some squat racks. <laughs> anyway, uh, so you can vasovagal uh, when, you're, uh, when you're bearing down. But people uh, have fluctuations of vagal tone when they're sleeping. That's not uncommon. Um, and uh, P waves are normal, PR interval is typically normal, QRS is typically normal, uh, ratio is one to one, uh, but the rhythm is regularly irregular and it corresponds with their breathing pattern. So if you're in the back of the ambulance with a patient who's got uh, a rate that varies slightly, look at their chest wall to see it rise and fall and then look at the corresponding ECG. And if the heart rate increases slightly on inspiration, decreases slightly on expiration, increases slightly on inspiration, decreases slightly on expiration, you've got a sinus arrhythmia. It's not a big deal. Um, I probably won't even report it to the triage nurse. I will document it, um, but I've, I've reported it to the triage nurse and the triage nurse thought I was talking about like a serious arrhythmia and it's <coughs> not, it's just a sinus arrhythmia. Um, so it's, it's very common. You see in children, sometimes you'll see it in well-trained athletes. Um, and people have sinus arrhythmia at, at night when they're, when they're sleeping. Um, so here's the thing. Um, 
if you come across a test question, you probably won't this semester, but maybe next semester, if you come across a test question with a rhythm strip and you're expected to interpret the rhythm strip, um, it's not likely to be a sinus arrhythmia unless I tell you the heart rate increases slightly on inspiration and decreases on expiration because the only way to interpret a sinus arrhythmia is to see the patient or have someone describe the patient to you and what they're doing, you know, what, uh, how it corresponds with the ECG. Does that make sense? So, nothing to get excited about. It's a normal variation. Sinus bradycardia uh, meets all the criteria of a sinus rhythm with one exception, the heart rate's less than 60. That's it. Now, does anyone know what the heart rate is here? If we calculate from here, what would the heart rate be if the QRS fell here? Be 300, right? If it fell here? 150 here? 100 here? 75? Good. Sorry, hang on. 300, 150, 175 here? 60 here? Here? 43? So what's the heart rate? between 50 and 43? Just take a guess. 47, 46, that's all good. If you're calculating a heart rate, as long as within you're in a reasonable range, I'll give you the mark. Uh, if you said 32, no. If you said 55, no. But somewhere between 43 and 50 is good. Um, so that's the sinus bradycardia. And uh, again, don't forget the rate, right? So uh, you'd say this is sinus bradycardia with a heart rate of 46 or 47. Yeah, Riley? Probably a dumb question. But where do you start counting from? Like, do I start counting from the QRS? Do I start counting from the P wave? Um, so always from the QRS. From the QRS. Yeah, always from yeah, the R wave. Um, well, always try to find an R wave uh, that okay. falls in a dark line. So you're looking for an R wave that falls in a dark line. This one is fairly close. Yeah, how many big squares? So this one is even closer. So, so uh, think if the next R wave fell here, it would be 300, 150, 175, 60, 50, 43. Yeah. Okay. Where people sometimes make a mistake is um, they'll, you know, start 300 on the second small large square, or they'll start 300 here, 150, 175. So make sure that. Um, you're thinking the next R wave on the next dark line, that would be 300. Okay? So sinus bratty. Why do patients have sinus bratty? Um, a buddy of mine, um, uh, when I lived in Vancouver, used to work with the, or used to play with the Vancouver Whitecaps soccer player, very athletic. He had a sinus bradycardia of 36 all the time. Yeah, sorry, it was always 36. Very athletic, right? It's very. Um, anyone here have a bradycardia? You're getting there? You're working on it? <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, well-trained athletes typically have bradycardias because they have very powerful myocardiums. Is it less than 60 or, or 60 and below? 60 and below. All right. We're good. You're good? Yeah. 60? <laughs> you guys, that whole table is like... I, I got <coughs> Yeah. Except for Drew, because he's mean, so he is a <laughs> nice. <laughs> Can you guys hear me okay back there, by the way? Yeah? Okay, yeah? good.
Because you'd tell me, right? Yeah, because you wouldn't leave it like to the very end of the semester to like experiment with Google Slides to wait to tell me. It's now, um, if you if you ever can't hear me, there are always tables closer too. That is an option. But I'm like you guys. In a class, I always sit at the very back because that's the best place to heckle from. So, so sinus bradycardia. Why do people get sinus bradycardias? Well-trained athletes get sinus bradycardias. Uh, patients may vasovagal and get a sinus bradycardia. Uh, they may be on a beta blocker that gives them a sinus bradycardia. Um, uh, not uncommon to see patients on beta blockers whose heart rates are in the 50s. Um, uh, drug overdose can give them a bradycardia. Sometimes a bradycardia is a sign of decompensatory shock when they've been tachycardic and hypotensive and they're just, they're now circling the drain. Um, they get bradycardic. Sinus TAC, uh, same criteria as the sinus rhythm, only the heart rate is greater than 100, so, or 100 or greater, rather. So, um, typically uh, at rest, rates greater than 160, and sometimes even greater than 140 or 150, uh, are rarely sinus in origin, unless they've taken like a, a sympathomimetic, uh, an upper, uh, a stimulant of some sort. Um, so um, we'll talk about supraventricular tachycardias. But we look at this heart rate. The heart rate's here, 300, 150, 100, 10, 20, 30, 40, 140. That's a little unusual for someone at rest, um, but uh, that's a sinus tach. So we got P waves that are normal, PR intervals normal, QRS is usually narrow, ratios one to one, and the rhythm is regular. So that would be a sinus tach of 140. It is, eh? Yeah. Yeah, it's not uncommon. Is that after one puff or several puffs? Two puffs? Yeah. Yeah, that's the beta one effect. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, and that's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, <coughs> I don't know because I make it a point not to run because I believe we have a finite number of heartbeats in a lifetime. <laughs> Generally 20 minutes, I think. Heart rate should be back down to normal, roughly. Yeah. Cool. Is that like a Fitbit type of app? No, thing? these ones are they're like they're pretty complicated. They take you to a bunch of other reactions. Okay. Does anyone have the app where you have to run away from zombies when you're jogging? <laughs> 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 That'd be my only reason for running. <laughs> uh, any other questions? <laughs>